Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church, if you're just visiting with us today. Uh, I know there are a few visitors out here. Welcome. We hope that you are, if you're in town uh, to celebrate Christmas with with loved ones or whatever it is, we're glad you're here. Um, And we we thank you for choosing to be with us here on a a Sunday morning. My name is is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. And um, we have been in our, we're obviously wrapping up our Advent series that we've been in for the last few weeks uh, this Sunday morning. Um, And before I really get into our our passage that we've been working through, I want to talk a little bit about story. Um, what we do as a, as a society, as people, is we tell ourselves stories that kind of resonate with what we value in the world, like what we find noble, how we deal with adversity, um, our hopes and fears that talk about where we've come from, where we're going, and then how we, we should live along the way. And so, of course, as, as a storytelling people, of course we tell stories about Christmas when we come to that time, again, to, to talk about what it is that we value and how we should live in this time of year as well. And so um, I want to talk about, to start off here, a couple of like popular Christmas stories um, and talk about uh, how they resonate with the story of Christmas that we as Christians believe and celebrate every year, okay? So the first one is A Christmas Carol by, by Charles Dickens. I put my favorite version of this is The Muppet Christmas Carol, and so I threw that one on, on here. But I'm going to guess most of us in the room here are familiar with, with what happens in the story. Um, you, ha- you start out with the main character. is a guy named Scrooge, and he's this miser. He runs the company, um, but he really doesn't want to let his workers off for Christmas. He, he kind of fights against that. He doesn't want to give them enough coal to help them to stay warm. He has a, he has a worker named Bob Cratchit who has a son named Tiny Tim who is gonna, who's not doing well because he doesn't have the money to care well for him. Um, and, and really, I don't, think the, I don't think this word is ever used, but we, wh- how we interpret the story today is, is Scrooge doesn't have enough of what we would call a Christmas spirit, a Christmas cheer. This isn't really animating his actions. And so as a result of, of Scrooge not having this, he's visited by three different ghosts, Christmas past, present, and future. And um, each one kind of showing a different angle of what Christmas really is and how the world really is and s- give Scrooge like a, a better view of how he should look at things to kind of change his actions. And, and the, the last one, the, the ghost of Christmas future, shows Scrooge a future in which um, uh, Tiny Tim has passed away because he was not able to be cared for. And in the same, uh, I believe in the same graveyard that Tiny Tim lays in, there is an unmarked grave that is the grave, uh, or it's, it's, it's unremembered, I think. It's Scrooge's grave, but no one cares that this guy is dead because he was such a terrible guy during his life. And, and this is the one that really uh, changes Scrooge's heart. And he, he, he gets out, and, and now he has Christmas spirit. He runs around, he completely is a changed guy. He's throwing everybody off. Everyone's confused about what's going on because Scrooge is being super nice to them now on Christmas Day. And, and that's kind of, kind of the, the moral of the story, right? And I came across an article in uh, Scientific American. It's it's a it's a magazine. And it was it was kind of reflecting on the Christmas a Christmas Carol as kind of talking about how again how this story tells us how we should act around Christmas time. And they were talking about how this reflects to us a sort of moral code 
that, that is appropriate uh, to embody at this time of year. And, and for the art, author of this article, they, they wrote this in the fact that it's the end of the harvest season, so you're able to, people are able to stop working and, and welcome people into their homes now. It's the darkest time of year, so it makes sense people would try to be happy in a time that is normally not happy. Um, and, and, but basically, the whole point of, of telling ourselves there's this thing called Christmas spirit that we need to embody is to remind ourselves of, of what this author says is like a moral code um, that, that we need to be alerted to. And, and nobody enforces this moral code and, uh, except for us. So it's up to us to kind of remind ourselves of it. And, and a part of this moral code is, is generosity, kindness, charity. We could also throw in just cheer and joy, uh, whatever. And, and, and this is a, a quote from the, from the article specifically that kind of ties it together. When we act out Christmas spirit, we're making visible this collective force and we give it power. That's what the author of this article says. And this is what we should take from a Christmas story. We should avoid trying to be Scrooge and we should remind, remind ourselves of this moral code that it's better to live by so that we can go out now and embody this. And Christmas is the time of year where we specifically remember that. Okay? So that's one story that we tell ourselves as a society that kind of gives us a vision for, for how we should live. All right? A second one is the movie Elf, right? Everybody loves this movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the favorite Christmas movies every year. And so, again, I'm assuming you're pretty familiar with it. I'll ru- run through it again. It kind of takes this idea of Christmas spirit and expands on it or kind of unpacks it in a little bit of a different way. Okay, so Buddy is an elf. Um, he, he lives in the North Pole, but he finds out he's not actually an elf. He's actually a human and he, he got adopted by some elves, and so he leaves the North Pole to go find his real family. Um, he comes to, this is kind of interesting, he comes to humanity from another place around that time of year of Christmas to show them a great truth. I think there's a little echo of the Christmas story there of Jesus, although very different in a lot of ways, obviously. Um, but Buddy, you know, he, when, he gets to, when he gets to humanity, he, he observes that there's almost been like a kind of a fall, right? Again, echoing the, the Christian story, there's been a fall and no one has this Christmas spirit. Um, and, and, and especially it's embodied in his dad, this kind of Scrooge character, right? Who, who just cares about work and does not care about being kind to others. And so Buddy is trying to like convince everybody, you got to have Christmas spirit, which is kind of ill-defined in the movie. It's just kind of like obnoxious happiness, basically, right? Um, okay, but the end of the movie, and this is super interesting. I had never really noticed it before this year. But at the end of the movie, um, you remember Buddy, if you've seen it, you remember Buddy's running through Central Park and he sees Santa's sleigh has crash-landed in Central Park. And we find out that um, Santa is, is un, he's powerless to deliver the gifts to people because there's not an appropriate amount of Christmas spirit on behalf of the people, at least in New York. So, and apparently his, his sleigh is fueled by Christmas spirit. Um, and so, so Santa giving gifts to people in the movie is conditioned on an appropriate amount of Christmas spirit. Right? Santa is not able to, to be Santa without a, without a certain uh, state of heart um, or, or a f- embodying of a certain moral code by uh, the people, of at least of New York or of the world, in the movie. And so Buddy needs to convince everybody to have this so that Santa's sleigh can be powered and he can go and he can and bring gifts. Okay? And that's kind, of the, that's kind of what happens in the movie. 
Now, I think it's, imp- it's a good for us at this time of year, again, we're, we're, we're reflecting on the stories that we as a society tell around this time of year to talk about what we value and, and how we see the world embodied in, in, in the characters and in the, in the plot of these different stories is, is that we need to drum up in ourselves something called Christmas spirit at this time of year and there are different consequences for us if we don't. Uh, what, what happens to us is, is conditioned upon our own Christmas spirit. What, however we define Christmas spirit or whatever, whatever it looks like. All right? If not, we might end up like Scrooge, you know, unremembered in our grave, no one uh, caring for us that we have died. Or we might end up like the citizens of New York with no gifts. <laughs> right? no, no gifts from Santa or from, from you know, the, the character who gives gifts out. All right? What we've been doing in this sermon series is we've been talking through uh, Mary's uh, song, The Magnificat, and how she unpacks for us this, this revolutionary story about what God is doing and how that manifests at Christmas time. And, and how uh, w- this is the, the story that we celebrate as Christians every year at Christmas. All right? and, and so it's good for us to be retuned back to it, right? to, to remind ourselves of what is exactly the story that we're celebrating. What are some, maybe some ways it does cross over with the other stories that we tell or the movies we watch around Christmas time, but how does it differ as well? Okay, and so one of the things, and and Julie's used this quote the last couple Sundays, I'm just going to say it again because it's so good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, says about Mary's song, The Magnificent, that it is the the most passionate, the wildest, and one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. And Julie has unpacked uh, some different ways in which this, we find this to be a very revolutionary song. Um, and today I want to talk a little bit about why it's, a, why it's revolutionary, and how it's rooted to the story of Christmas, and specifically the story that God is telling that unfolds throughout all of Scripture and, and where Christmas falls within that, okay? And so what I, what I want to do is before we get into to the part of the passage I'll be walking through is remind ourselves of Mary's story. Uh, Mary lives in a culture that's very collectivist, right? It's not, it's not an individualist society like ours. So in our society, we see what's happening in our lives as part of this, this story that, that doesn't really necessarily have a lot of crossover with the rest of the society that we live in. But Mary lives in a society where her story is completely tied up in the story of her people. And the story of her people, we, we've gone through this in Daniel this year a little bit, um, but, but basically, Israel is set apart. They're given this, this law or Torah that God um, blesses them with. That it, and what, what this is, is it's a covenant kind of code. It's a civic law. But it, it's a design for a way that this people that is set apart for God is supposed to live. Um, that will bring Israel into proper relation with the Holy God. But will also give them a design for how to be a blessing to the rest of the world as well. And so... Part of Torah is obviously to be kind, generous, charitable. It's to have Christmas spirit. We, we could definitely frame it like that. Whatever you know, we mean by that, it, it's certainly what we hope for in Christmas spirit is embodied in the law that, that, it, that God gives Israel. Now, like we talked about in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, we, we find Israel in exile. They've, they've actually been cast away from their land because of their inability to live up to this code that God has given them. They find themselves worshiping gods of sex, money, power, political success, and getting intertwined with other nations in ways that God had said, listen, you can't do this if you're going to truly be my people. And so it gets to a point where God lets them go into exile, and and they had completely forgotten 
their promise as a people to live up to this, this part of the code that God had given them. They had completely, uh, completely forgotten their, their promise. We could think of it that way. And so what happens is this moral code, right, this Christmas spirit, if we want to call it that, just because of the time of year we're in, ends up not uh, being a blessing to Israel and allowing them to be a blessing to us a world, but actually condemning them. Because as, as, as you look at what is, is hoped for for Israel and what they're actually doing, you find how, fall, how um, short they're falling of it. And so they end up get condemning by the same law. And so you could say that their lack of Christmas cheer or spirit ends up getting them sent into exile. And no matter how hard they try, they continually find that they cannot invoke that, that commitment to the law, that, that promise or that Christmas spirit, and, and they become part of the problem themselves. And that's kind of the story that, that Mary finds herself living in. Her people, Israel, now are living completely unremembered. They're at the, you know, they are the, the lowest of the low in the world, especially to the great nations around them. They, they don't view Israel as any sort of great nation. They, they hold Israel and their God in low regard. And, and so they are like Scrooge in that way. And, and so far, God has not blessed them with this gift of getting them out of this predicament, of, of rescuing from this problem. So, so they find themselves in the same state, we could say, as Scrooge or as the citizens of New York in the movie Elf at the time. And these stories that we, we tell ourselves around Christmas time would have been true for Israel. We would have found that that is actually the story that they live in, just without the happy ending uh, of, of A Christmas Carol or Elf, until... Christmas happens, okay? And so, and so let's get into Mary's, uh, what, what, what part of the passage that we have today as she talks about what is happening now for her as she learns of, the, of what God is doing through her to bring this child uh, into the world who will be God's Messiah. She says, and this is the very end of her song that we've been going through the last few weeks, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors, okay? And so, so Mary is consciously, by, by talking about uh, her, her ancestors and how, um, you know, she is a descendant of Abraham and what God had said to those people, that he would be faithful to fulfill his promises to them and those promises are coming to fulfillment now in her, she's tying herself into this greater story and this story is marked by a God who remembers his promises, he remembers his promises even though Israel does not remember theirs. And Israel being a microcosm for all people, failing to, to remember their promises, to, to live according to any sort of certain moral code, which just ends up condemning us uh, at the, in the end, God still remembers his promises anyway. And so in a time of year where we celebrate and we tell ourselves to live kind and charitable and generous towards others, we have to reflect on the fact that the whole reason that we can even have the hope of living that out is because God has been kind and charitable and generous to us first. And that's the story that we as Christians live in. Now you think that people would be really excited to live 
in this story, right? Every year to be reminded of this and to, to be really excited to live that out. That's not actually the case. It actually is kind of an offensive story to many people. And I want to talk a little bit about, about why that is because we'll find that being the case for us as well if we're, if we're not thoughtful, okay? Paul picks up on this. He understands this when he talks in 1 Corinthians 1, 21 to 23. He says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So Paul highlights two types of of wisdom in this passage. And he basically says, Christ coming, he specifically refers to Christ on the cross. We'll talk, we'll get to it a little bit, but he's talking about Christ in general here. This is a foolishness uh, to both Jews, the people that um, are supposed to be the ones excited about this coming, and to Gentiles who had no clue and are just hearing about this strange religion of Christians that has been popping up. And, And Paul says, listen, they both don't get this, right? It's foolishness to them. And, and that the reason is because, um, the reason is because like, like Greeks are looking for this wise way, but to them, they can't understand the wisdom of a God who comes and allows himself to be crucified. Or if we look at the Christmas story, they can't understand a God who comes and celebrates his birth of this, this great coming king in the, the wrong place. We'll talk about that in a second here. All right? And for Jews, they demanded signs. Right? They wanted the Messiah, to, they wanted God to show up and crack open the sky in his coming to save them. But he comes in the most humble form imaginable and he ends up becoming a Messiah who doesn't uh, put the, you know, the enemies on crosses and crucify them, but lets himself get crucified on behalf of his people. It's totally opposite. It's not the signs that they're looking for. And if we're honest, we, we want the same things that the Jews and the Greeks that Paul's referring to here want, right? We want to, we want to receive the gift of God in our own wisdom, right? We want people to look at how wise we are when we receive it every Christmas, right? Maybe we're smarter than everybody else, and that's why we're Christians, right? Or, or we want, um, like Jews, we want to receive it with signs. We want to, to, to see how great, how triumphant we are, and God blesses us because of that. We like the story where we, we've earned God's gift because we're so great with Christmas spirit, we're so great with Christmas cheer, that God just can't help himself but to bless us. And this is not the story that we're talking about. It's total foolishness. And the reason it's foolish is because it's completely vulnerable, and it happens in, on the cross, it happens in defeat, and in the Christmas story, it happens in just the most smallest, insignificant-seeming way possible. All right, just, just think about, like, to hammer home the point of this story, let's just think critically about what happens in the Christmas story, all right? Um, Jesus comes as the child of a teenage girl and who, who is having him out of wedlock, right? Not having, not having this child with her actual husband, right? Before she's even married, she's, you know, she has this child, which is totally not the way it's supposed to be in that society. She would have been shunned for that, and, and Joseph would have been shunned for, you know, for not, like, cu- uh, um, uh, cutting off their engagement, right? So, so there's that, all right? This, uh, this coming, this birth that is celebrated in, in, in our Bibles happens in a backwater Jewish town, like a rural town, not the big, t- the big town that you would expect the triumph to come, where everybody is aware of what's happening. It happens in a small rural town, basically in like the garage of a hotel, right? Okay, like where no one is going to see it 
happening, right? Everyone is, is inside, it's at night, they don't want anything to do with this, with this going on. And the people who show up to celebrate it, right, the, the wise men, these, these kings or magi or whatever they are, they show up later on, but initially, the very first time that this happens, the people who show up are some of like the lowest blue-collar workers in the society, shepherds. They're just they're they're not people you you would you trust like typically if you're a shepherd it's because you can't get another job right they're they're untrustworthy they're not the people you want to associate with and these are the guys who show up to celebrate this birth or this coming all right so so this is total foolishness because Jesus comes in the most vulnerable state you could imagine as a child right the most vulnerable human is a baby right Parents in the room understand this better than the non-parents, I would imagine, even, right? But the, they can't take care of themselves. They, they poop all over themselves. They spit up. They're just, you know, they, they just, they can't take care of themselves. They're the most vulnerable of us. And then this child comes in the most, like, backwards way possible that we could imagine. And this is the story that we're celebrating in this time, okay? And the reason it's offensive is because we did nothing to condition God to receive this, and in order to truly receive this king, we have to count ourselves among those shepherds in the garage of a hotel in a rural uh, Jewish town. We have, to, like, we have to enter into that space as well, admit that we're no better than the circumstances in which this child is coming in order to truly receive the gift. We have to admit our own vulnerability. We have to admit our own, uh, our own inability to, to live up to all the hopes and dreams, our own ability to be wise, our own ability to create signs of wonders for ourselves and to, to totally uh, condition God to give us this gift in the ways that we talk about at, at Christmas spirit, right? In, the, in these Christmas stories I've been talking about, the way that we think our Christmas spirit you know, affords us some really good things. We have to enter into and admit our own vulnerability and issues, and that's the way we receive this gift. It's so backwards. It's so it's so incredibly uh, backwards that it's worth reflecting on at this time every year. And so that's kind of our our application today. I want us to to reflect on this as we prepare to leave this uh, this Sunday morning and go out to the places that we're going to go to this week to celebrate Christmas. I want you to first remember to celebrate Christmas in vulnerability. I would go so far as to say that you can't truly have Christian Christmas spirit without first being vulnerable and, 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 and humble in living out the story that Mary is rooting herself in, this revolutionary tale. Every society, every subgroup within society is going to have different uh, indicators of success. Every family is going to have certain things that, that um, you value. And, and oftentimes, right, when you get together as a family, like, you're just talking about how great your last year has been, right? Or you're comparing yourselves maybe to different families, right? That, I know that happens a lot at Christmas times. Um, and, like, we, we like to, to approach things in this sort of, like, fake happiness and joy a lot of times. We kind of numb ourselves this time of year with uh, Christmas carols and eggnog, and right? Like, that's the way we want to receive it. And, and Christmas should be received in a sort of, I think, vulnerability. Like, I think the true joy that we look for in Christmas, you can't get that unless you enter in in a vulnerable way. And so I want you to be, to be asking yourselves, how can I find vulnerability 
in myself at this time of year? How can I admit my shortcomings, my failings? How can I be, you know, I can be okay telling my family, I just had a rough year. Like, this wasn't a fun year for me, if that's, if that's true of you. Um, or, or as you look ahead to next year, you're thinking, the next year doesn't look like it's going to be any better. And that's okay to talk to people about. That's a, this is the time of year where we should be uh, excited to tell people that we're feeling this way because the vulnerable, the, the people like Mary or shepherds, uh, those are the ones who, who truly understand who Jesus is and his coming. And so, for, again, for us to, to understand it true, we need to, to get to that level as well or at least admit we're actually at that level as great as we might think that we are. Okay? Uh, God comes to a birth setting that he doesn't deserve. As the king of the universe, he doesn't deserve to get born the way that he does, but he comes to the birth setting that we deserve, right? This, this lowly, humble, vulnerable state in order to bring the gift to people who are vulnerable and humble. And once we have done that, we can get to our second point of application, which is to, to let Christmas spirit flow from the Christmas story, all right? So, Again, I don't want to dissuade you from being kind and charitable and generous this time of year. I actually think we Christians should be the most kind, the most charitable, the most generous of, of anybody at this time of year and, and all times of year, okay? Please, please hear me say that too. But again, this is the story we live in, right? Admitting our own vulnerability and our need for a gift. We should be the, the, the first to go out and to embody this sort of Christmas spirit that we love to celebrate in the society. And it's because of how we receive the gift, right? Christians are, I, you know, I'd say we're, we're somewhat known for that. Um, we we kind of have a black eye in society right now. Some of it's deserved, some of it's not. But, I mean, really, truly, I do think throughout history that Christ, the church has done a good job of this. Like, it's hard to overstate the impact of Christians, but we have to continually go back to this, to, to tune ourselves back to this humble and vulnerable story that we're a part of so that we can continue to go out and act kind and generous uh, and charitable in the world. Okay, because the whole reason we exist as Christians, the whole reason this this space is even possible on a Sunday morning is because of a God who comes in unconditioned kindness, charity, and generosity. Coming to those who are unkind, who are disingenuous, who are uncharitable. As much as we hate to admit that, we find ourselves in that state many times. And oftentimes our best, our best works are still tainted by um, hidden motives. I remember in, in college, I, I rang the bells for the Salvation Army one time. And, and I'll totally, I will totally admit to you, I didn't even know where the money was going. And my friend and I who did it together, we made sure someone came out to take pictures of us that we could post on Facebook. And we were just like, we wanted to get a ton of money, but we wanted it to reflect how great a job we had done at like soliciting attention from people as they walked into this grocery store, right? So, so I was doing a good thing, but my motives were completely wrong. And I don't think it's fair to say that it, like I was embodying like what, what I'm calling true Christmas spirit in that moment because I was only reflecting on how great I was, how great you know, my work was in that moment. Look at me, I'm willing to stand out in this cold weather and, and ring a bell. I'm pretty awesome, right? This is, and, and I'm, you know, like, let's say I gotten, I don't even know, they didn't tell us how much money we raised, so that was a good thing probably, but like, right? If we're honest, like this is like the best that we have to offer many times when we do try to live out this Christmas cheer, this Christmas spirit that we're told to live out this time of year. And so, 
again, in order for us to truly live it out well, we have to be vulnerable. We have to admit that even the best of our actions many times are, are compromised in certain ways. Okay? But when we enter in through, that, through the vulnerability and humility that is, that is required for us as Christians, then we can truly be uh, the most charitable, the most kind, the most generous in society. And I think that is what what gives Christianity its power in the world to do good works is because of the state of the people who are acting that out. All right, so um, every service, what we do is we end with a time of, of response. Right? We think, again, we're talking about response in our lives um, to the gospel, to, to Christ coming for us. And what we do every Sunday morning is, is supposed to be a response to that as well. And so what we do is we, we end the service by um, taking communion. It's a response to Jesus specifically tells us to remember his body uh, broken for us and his blood shed for us on the cross. So we invite you, even if you're just visiting with us this Sunday, please come and take communion with us up front here. We just ask that you're a follower of Jesus if you do. And we're going to be entering into a time of worship through song. Um, and this is a time where we worship the one who is mighty, but comes to us in a vulnerability that matches our own. Okay, so if you are feeling vulnerable, you're feeling defeated, you're feeling weighed down by your own sin in this moment, that should cause you to worship God all the more because you are worshiping a God who in his coming to you enters into your own state, a state even lower perhaps than where you're at. We're going if to, you, if you'd like to give, we have a giving box in the very back on the other side of the soundboard there. This is a chance for us to, uh, to give up comfort, right? To give up trying, you know, the, the money that we, we hold so tightly onto, right? To try to help us out in, different, in the different ways to be amazing or awesome or, or generous with. Be, be, you can be generous by giving to us this, this Sunday morning. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be uh, upset with that at all. Um, and then finally... Um, prayer, like uh, if you would like to ha- be prayed for in the back, right? If you're feeling, if you're feeling beat up, you feel like you need prayer from someone, we'll have someone in the back who will be um, offering to pray for you as well. Okay, so please respond uh, in, in, in to to the gift of 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 Jesus um, in his in his um, in his coming as a child uh, through these different ways uh, before you go out and respond to it. Uh, wherever you're going for this Christmas season. All right, let's pray and and then we'll enter into this time of response. Lord, we thank you that you come to us in vulnerability, in humility, so that you can match our own vulnerability. Let us be vulnerable. Help us to understand our own need for your coming in that way and help us to celebrate and rejoice in that as we prepare our hearts for this incredible holiday season. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.